Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Schuler, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today? I'm fantastic, Ed. Uh, very excited. Uh, last night's game, I went to the game again. It's funny, I I was joking. That's all I do. I'm on free time now. I go to the Bulls game. <laughs> um, the only only game I didn't go to is that is the game they lost. So maybe so, maybe I should go to all the games. So good luck charm. I mean, it's not a bad thing if you're just going to Bulls games nonstop. I mean, you basically like become like a season ticket holder. <laughs> yeah, I can maybe start a streak where I become one of the fans that hasn't missed a game for like <laughs> 500 years or something. Yeah, no, eventually they'll like put you on the like jumbotron and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh man, well you pick you've you've been picking some really good games to go to this season so far, and you were telling me right before we started recording that this one is the funnest one so far, and yeah, the Bulls. Bad news, they're not undefeated, but they played two games that were really, really fun to watch. And they they beat a really good Utah team, but they fell to a, a also a pretty good Knicks team just by a point. But as we talked about, oh, they were a DeMar DeRozan shot away from being 6-0. and So there's a lot to get into to break down what we've seen from the Bulls uh, this past week. And joining us uh, from 670 The Score, where he's an executive producer and also does the Bulls Radio postgame uh, show, Rick Camp. Rick, thanks for joining us today, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're excited to have you on. Uh, it should be a, a fun conversation about a uh, actual fun basketball team. <laughs> I know. It's kind of jarring over you know, after the last few years. Like, I have to, like, kind of reprogram myself to a point to be like, okay, it doesn't all have to be, okay, where can they improve? It can actually also be there are things to appreciate with this team and it's okay to do that every once in a while. So, I mean, it, it probably should be like this considering everything that was given up for the, you know, for this bulls team to be what it is in this current iteration, they better be really good. Uh, but the fact that we're seeing it tangibly on the court and that it's playing out as well as it has so far has definitely been a really nice change to the start of the season. Yeah, but, and to your point too, though there are things that they're still working out, and it's good to see that they're still winning while they're working those kinks out. It's and in years past, it was like, well, we're working these kinks out and taking losses at the same time. Yeah, and that's part of it's just like the veteran nature of some of the guys to be able to, you know, like adjust on the fly. But it is fascinating to see how they've evolved in terms of the profile of a team and how they're winning these games because. Like looking at last night's game, and I, I just uh, rewatched part of it this morning. It's interesting how they were able to pull off that win just because of, like, you mind you, some of it was defense clearly, but just Utah not shooting the ball well. But also, like most games, Bulls getting pounded on the boards. However, they've been able to make up for that a little bit in terms of turnovers. Like, we don't think of this team in the way that we think of you know, some of that weird boiling defense where it was just all about being hyper aggressive and getting turnovers, but you can kind of see their formula for winning right now is make enough of your mid range shots, force the turnovers. So that way, when you're giving up more offensive rebounds than you're taking in yourself, you're kind of making up some of those extra possessions and then make shots at the right times because the offense, you know, let's be honest, the offense still doesn't look great but the defense has been much better than expected and they're able to do that so far, just, you know, forcing 20 turnovers, not having many themselves. And even though you're minus five in terms of offensive boards, you're evening out some of those issues with rebounding in terms of just number of overall shots with how they're able 
to force those turnovers and especially yesterday trying to get out and run a little bit more so that each one of their shots is more efficient. You you mentioned defense and a lot of the talk during the offseason from uh, some general NBA people was the Bulls defense was going to be awful because they're adding DeMar DeRozan and Vooch is already you know a really bad defender but he, through six games the Bulls currently have an elite defense a top five defense and defensive rating and they are third in terms of opponents points per game and you see some of it with the versatility that they now have on the defensive end right Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso have been really big for them because both of them have been playing phenomenal defensively and then you bring up you bring up uh other guards off the bench like a uh, Javante Green and I mean Patrick Williams when he was you know healthy was helping too so the Bulls have a, a bunch of defensive uh talent on this team and they are just playing really sound defensive basketball so like, what did you see in in last night's game defensively that like impressed you the most I mean well one one thing is uh the Bulls are good defensively. DeMar DeRozan is also an awful defender. Like mm-hmm. the, these two things can both be true. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> so that is, that is totally a thing. DeMar's never been a good defender mm-hmm. and he's, he's just not, but they're able to get by with that for now. So that's great. Uh, it, it's just the fact of how they're able to close out on almost every single shot. And mind you in, in the Utah game, they didn't give up as many open shots as they had in a lot of the other games. And that's a credit to them because Utah is generally so good at getting open shots. Utah also missed a, a decent amount of those shots, but I think it was just the way they were, how, just how active they were. And I do wonder if as the, as the season goes on, you know, how sustainable that is because, you know, it's an 82 game season. And if we're being realistic about it, it's tough to bring that level of energy every single night. And, you know, there's going to be some schedule spots where, hey, if they're not going to have that level of activity on defense, they're probably going to get torched a little bit and there are going to be those nights. But their activity level and also just like with Lonzo, I think the biggest thing for me about his defense was always a good off ball defender. Like some people you can tell that they have the vision offensively, like especially point guards, really great vision offensively, but they can't translate that vision to the defensive side. And Lonzo is really good at translating it. That's why he's always good at getting his hands into those passing lanes, you know, using his length since he doesn't have that elite athleticism at the point guard position. So I think that's been really, really fascinating so far. And then also just maybe more specific to the Utah game, just, Vooch kind of doing what he does defensively, where I'm not as low on his defense as some, and I'm also not as high on his defense as some saying like he's good. I will never say Vooch is a good defender, but you know what he does? He's more likely than not going to be in the right spot. And if you can work your way around him when he's in the right spot, you're going to get some some buckets. But against Utah, he was able to do enough to make the to make the Jazz have some difficult shots around the rim. And the Bulls are allowing the most shots at the rim of any team in the NBA by a pretty decent margin so far this year. So being able to deter those shots just a little bit more would help them out a lot. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I think you you kind of did nail the uh, on Vooch as far as I mean, he's not a bad defender, and I wouldn't say I could say he's not like an a good defender by necessarily, but he, he does rotate. Well, he, he hits his spots and, and he's, he's more of a, a rim deterrent as opposed to a rim protector. Um, yeah. That's a good to, way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So another, another big on the roster yesterday that I, I was really happy. Like I was kind of relieved to see him play so well was Tony Bradley jr. Obviously he came in a camp. He got twisted his ankle or sprained his ankle. I should say twisted tons kind of weird way to say it. But I sprained his ankle and this conditioning became a problem because he missed all the camp because of that. Um, and he was, I guess, Billy was probably slowly working him in. We weren't sure what was going on. He was getting like very spot minutes. And last night, Billy kind of threw him in against a really good jazz team with some good bigs. Obviously, Rudy Gobert and then Hassan Whiteside, who, I mean, has his issues uh, overall, but he's he's definitely an, a load to handle at times on the boards and and then so forth. And what we saw from Tony Bradley last night, you know, he was rotating well, uh, getting on on the even on the perimeter. He, there was times where he was uh, switching on to like Jordan Clarkson. I felt like I saw multiple times he was doing a good job there. Uh, second effort, 
um, was also there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tony Bradley going forward? Just from seeing that game, does that game give you a lot of confidence that, look, yeah, maybe this guy is a solid guy that we can re- rely on for the rest of the season? I thought coming in, he was just going to be like a, a decent backup center. Because really, when you're signing a, a veteran minimum backup center, that, that's really all you're hoping for. You're not you're basically just asking him to not be a complete liability. And I think that's exactly what Tony Bradley can provide. Now, I think for this specific matchup, it probably helped out that he played a few years in Utah. So he definitely had a decent amount of institutional knowledge when it came to that specific roster. Uh, so while there's, you know, really things that Utah is good at that are difficult for not just the bigs, but for a lot of defenses in general, he was probably prepared for that as his first matchup to really get a lot of minutes, uh, you know, as opposed to anybody else. And I kind of like the way Billy Donovan worked him back because you look at the way the schedule is falling. Okay. Let Tony Bradley kind of work his way in. Don't necessarily rely on him for many minutes. And then you get to this stretch and it's not just the fact that it's against playoff teams. It's Utah with Gobert. Boston with Robert Williams, back-to-back Philly with Joel Embiid, you're going to need him to take some of those minutes against those bigger centers because, I mean, let's be honest, this, even before the Patrick Williams injury, the Bulls team is not very big. So they don't have a whole lot of wiggle room when it comes to these big centers and these big front courts. And you kind of saw that in the Knicks game of just teams could play bully ball again against Chicago, and that'll be an issue for them just because of their overall size. But I think with, with Bradley specifically, it was a nice spot for him to get that first real run. And I think he, he did really well with it. I don't think he's going to be, you know, super switchy all year or anything like that. But if, if he can play at the level of the screen and pick and roll, that's going to be really, that's going to be really, really good for this Bulls second unit, which should be good defensively all year. And it was our first data point at really seeing the Bulls against one of these really good dynamic point guards, because that's been one of my big questions is how would they survive in pick and roll, especially, you know, with Vooch playing a little bit out further than he has mostly in the past. So let me, let me ask you this. We talked about how DeMar DeRozan has added such a significant value to this team as just a scorer and, you know, of course, there was a discussion in the offseason about whether the Bulls gave up too much for him. And, you know, they gave up a, a, a good bunch to get him. But <laughs> they, they yeah, did give they up did. too much. Yes. There's no debating. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And then it turned into a discussion of uh, what are we getting from DeMar DeRozan? And I think during these first six games, we've seen it because he's been able to play not only a Robin sometimes to Zach Levine's Batman, but he's also been able to play Batman in the half court, too. So he gives the Bulls a a half-court scorer who can still create, can play make, can get to the line, can knock down that mid-range shot, and he's been a blessing for the Bulls, especially in games like this. You think about the Toronto game. So what's impressed you the most about what you've seen from DeMar DeRozan in these first uh, couple of games? I guess I'm not that surprised mm-hmm. just because this is kind of who he's been yeah. most of his career. And it is it is just now the thing that surprised me a little bit, and this is going to sound funny because he's taken so few of them still, is how many threes he's taken. Because last year in the 72 game season, he took a total of 74 three pointers. Now, the, the fact that he's been moving pretty well off the ball is is good, because obviously you pair that with guys that are good at cutting like Levine, like Caruso. Uh, like not not Lonzo quite as much just because he's not as explosive of an athlete. So when he gets to the rim, you know, he's just not going to be as efficient there. But yeah, DeMar DeRozan offensively has been pretty much what he is. Maybe not quite as much playmaking as he did in San Antonio, but that's also because the Bulls have other guys that can mm. that can playmake. If you just even go box score hunting and you look at their assist numbers game by game, it's pretty even throughout the the guys that are handling the ball the most. And that's fine. That's kind of a Billy Donovan thing. He wants that. Awesome. So, but that's part of also why it was an overpay and stuff is just because part of the reason he's been so good with San Antonio is because he was a ball dominant dude and all this type of stuff. So you're not getting as much value there and he's not giving you anything defensively. That's just kind of the way he's going to be. And that's okay. That's not what you're bringing him in for. Uh, So DeMar DeRozan has been pretty damn good. And that Utah matchup was a great one for him when you think about it. And it kind of snuck up on me 
middle of the game thinking about it is just because Utah plays so much drop that they're giving you all those mid-range shots. And they don't have a ton of great defenders outside of outside of Rudy Gobert. Like Mike Conley is still a good defender, but he was out and he would have probably been on Levine. So maybe that, you know, Royce O'Neal had uh, DeRozan a decent amount and he actually defended him pretty well, but just DeRozan able to get to his spots because Utah is willing to give up the mid-range uh, would definitely work to the Bulls' advantage for this specific game. So I, I think DeMar DeRozan's been really good for the Bulls in that regard. I, I do have some questions overall on how much the team as a whole is leaning on the mid-range early in the season and how sustainable yeah. that is if they want to have a decent offense. But DeRozan himself has been someone that the Bulls have absolutely needed so far. Yeah, uh, you mentioned depending on the two-point shot, and they've also been getting to the line a bunch too, and I think DeRozan has played a big part in that. But you look mm-hmm. at three-point rate, and the Bulls are dead last in the league at 30.5%. And in a game like this against Utah, they also didn't make any threes. It helped that Utah didn't make any either. But I, I think the shooting is definitely a concern going forward because even though you have some good defenders, you have some guys that can play, make, and and create their shot, it's when you're when you're going to the bench, you really don't have a whole lot of shooters, especially with Kobe White now out. So you put I mean, Caruso can make a shot. But when you talk about guys like Jones Jr. and Javante Green and uh, if they're playing Alize Johnson, uh, Troy Brown, uh, Tony, Brett, there's not, you know, a whole bunch of shooters there. So, I, I mean, wh- what do you make of that going forward? Do you think they can get by still against really good teams or is it going to get tougher as the season goes on? I mean, they're going to have to shoot better at some point because you're not going to win the math problem every single night. And I don't want to I don't want to turn basketball into an equation because I, you know, there's so much wiggle room in there. You don't have to be pure three points and at the rim, because obviously, if that's all you try to do and you don't know how to do that in, you know, in the context of an actual game, you get what the Jim Boylan offense was. Where if you looked at it on a stat sheet, it's like, oh, profile wise, it looks pretty good. But then when you watch it, it's like, oh, no, this is not a thing or it is a thing and just not for the right reasons. But like I'm looking at what the Bulls are doing right now. They're taking the second most shots from like long mid range. So like 14 feet through to the three point line. They're 22nd in percentage on those. That's part of the reason that your that your offense isn't very good. Like you mentioned, least amount of threes. And they're, but they're shooting seventh in percentage on those. So when they're shooting them, they're getting good looks. It's something you can look at too. And they're getting to the rim, which is nice. But obviously, especially those first few games, they're still 29th in percentage of shooting at the rim. But when you think about the guys that are getting there, it's actually been Lonzo Ball getting there an okay amount. Lonzo's not explosive. He's not a guy that's ever really been a great finisher at the rim. DeRozan's much better at getting at drawing fouls than necessarily finish, finishing at the rim, even though he's still got a decent amount of athleticism. You know, unless he's got a real lane, he doesn't explode when he's getting to the rim. He's more looking to get fouled. So they can improve some things. And even looking at just Zach Levine in general, uh, I, I looked at his shot profile compared to last year. He's taking 6% fewer of his shots, uh, fewer from three-point range. And those that 6% is all gone to the mid-range, which it's okay if you're not the best three-point shooter. But Zach Levine is a really good three-point shooter. So I don't really want to be taking shots away from him outside the three-point line and putting them in a less efficient area. I'm not, you know... a a hardcore person about, you know, threes in the rim, but like you also have to be smart about it. If DeMar DeRozan's going to be living in the mid range and you're going to have Vooch who likes to be in the mid range, but he's been doing what he has to in terms of uh, stretching out. Like it's part of these things are part of the reasons you're seeing the offense not be as efficient as a lot of people think it should be. And it's been fine so far. And even though like this Utah game was awesome and it's a great win for the bulls, you still have to look at the overall picture of, yeah, four or six games were against bad teams. And if they were bad teams that were missing the, arguably their best player. So you have to put it all into context. I think the Knicks game might be more of an indication of things because, you know, with Tibbs, he's obviously going to be someone that that's game planning. So you mm-hmm. saw a lot of put the Bulls good defenders on the weak side. And in that pick and roll action, that's where you're getting like Vucevic and DeRozan or something like that, where a team is really going to hunt the Bulls' bad defenders, and then how are they going to react to that? So 
there's a whole lot there and I know I'm rambling and I apologize <laughs> no, for that, but it is, no. uh, but you know, <laughs> like there, there's, it's a, still a lot of stuff that while the start has been really, really good, you can view it as encouraging or discouraging that there's still so many things that they can do better. hundred percent. I think that, like I said, you know, there, there are things that they can improve on, but they're still, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a nice change of pace where they're actually still winning games. Um, and, and, and to your point about Zach, as far as the shooting, I do think the hand is kind of affecting uh, how many shot three pointers that he takes. I feel like um, I know it's not a shooting hand, but it, it can help with that, with the way you kind of are, are directing the ball in a sense. And obviously uh, it affects his dribbling, but like more so as shooting wise, I feel like the, the hand does kind of deter his ability to really get clean looks off as he would if obviously he didn't have that issue on the, uh, with his thumb. Yeah, you could you could totally tell yesterday that's that was bothering him. Even when he was finishing on the left side of the hoop, he was using his right hand and kind of pivoting around to use to use that. It does. It just feels like at some point he's going to have to sit down for a while. And maybe if, if I'm Zach Levine, maybe I'm looking at it and saying, hey, if our if the schedule wasn't such a stark contrast of the beginning versus this long stretch, Maybe he would sit down right away for however long, if it's a week, two weeks, whatever. But because the schedule is so tough, Mm -hmm. maybe in his mind, it's, hey, if I can tough this out, get through that 13 game stretch, and then there's like an Indiana, Houston, Orlando thing, and then it gets kind of tough again for a little bit of a stretch. But just say, hey, if I can be out for those those three games at a bare minimum, reassess there and, and see where I'm at. Maybe that's his thought process, but if it gets to the point where he can't use that left hand at all and teams in this stretch really start to scout that and they're able to just like really, really play his right hand, you might just have to say, dude, we we understand you're trying to play through this and we respect you for it, but do what you have to do and, and let's get this thing right. Is, is there a hypothetical like timetable on if he does get surgery during the season, like how much time would he... What do you miss? Because I haven't seen anything about it. Yeah, I haven't seen anything specific about that. I mean, the fact that it, obviously the fact that it's his offhand helps a ton mm-hmm. in that regard. But I haven't seen a specific timetable. So even if it is, even if it is not necessarily surgery, but it's just man, give yourself some time off for, for the pain tolerance aspect of it, and just kind of let your body reset a little bit in that regard. Sometimes that can just help a, a decent amount. Like as I look at the schedule and, and everybody has seen, because of what was it last night on the broadcast, they flashed this, the uh, like 12, 13 game stretch, like five times. So now it's, it's in the ether that everybody sees it. Maybe it is you're waiting till around Thanksgiving. When you have that second night of a back-to-back after playing the Knicks again, you have Indiana, then you go to Houston, you go to Orlando. Maybe he just sits those three games that way from the, he has from the 22nd through the 26th off. It's a few days. And then maybe you use that as a reassessing period. That's that's like the best I can think of at this point without really knowing specifics on what the surgery would mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if surgery is necessary at all because uh, it's essentially what I, to my what I've seen and looked in looked at. And obviously, I'm not a doctor or anything like that. And I'm not trying to be a doctor, but what they saying it's like a grade one tear or something like that. That's mm-hmm. what I thought I saw. And that's essentially like, it was like it was an ankle sprain. Um, okay. It's basically, that's what is on his thumb. He just, he needs to rest. And that's the same thing. It is if he just sits out, doesn't use it. And like you ice it and you don't, you, you don't play on it for, or use it for a couple of weeks, any strenuous activity. But the pro- problem is obviously he's doing strenuous activity. So every game he could, just re-aggravate it and just keep continuously being a problem. So it's just about, it's just a time thing. It's not even like, you know, if he, like you said, if he sat out for a week, it could probably help like in a major way. But I think it's also comes into play. Like, and, and not to say, I, I don't think he's being selfish, but it's, it, that thought in his head, it could also be like, look, I, I want to try to maximize my contract this year too, because he has a shot at an all NBA team. And if he gets all NBA, mm-hmm. he gets that supermax. So, you know, I don't blame Zach. I mean, like, he's not like, obviously he's out there when he's playing, he's not playing selfish ball. He's playing team ball. 
He's doing the every bit to see to help make to help um, make sure that team win games. And by doing those things, Bulls winning, and he's still putting up his numbers. That automatically gives him consideration. And if he gets a, a you know on that one of those all NBA teams, and like I said, that's that's money. That's what like an extra forty fifty million. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can kind of maybe see that angle as well for him. And he's like, well, you know, I don't want to hurt myself doing hurt my odds at that extra money as well. I can see that. The the only thing, I mean, and I'm sure this is not the way Zach thinks, is in an 82 game season now, especially with the compressed off season. Like I know this was talk, this was the talk around like awards time last year and all MPA time last year is how there's more wiggle room in terms of games missed, you know, as opposed to like maybe in the past, it was, boy, if you don't play at least like 75 games, then that's where maybe you can start to give a little bit of a demerit to someone if, if you're splitting hairs. But now it seems like in an 82 game season, you're pretty much good if it's like 70 games. So if he can yeah. miss probably like a dozen games, and I don't think anybody would really bat an eye. So I, I think he probably does have that wiggle room, but I would not be shocked if his thought process is exactly what you're saying of just, hey, I need, I, you know, maybe not even thinking as much about the Supermax, although how could you not think about it? Just right. being like, I need to be here. This this is my team, the, you know, like that type of thing. I just, I can't take a night off. But it's like, no, part of the reason you brought in DeMar DeRozan is to allow you to take yes. a night off here and there. Like it, it's okay. And maybe you just have to be strategic about when those nights are. And even, even though he's not as good of a uh, scorer as Zach Levine is, part of me has to wonder with the train of thought that you guys are giving, if Kobe White's return could also play a part, because then that would allow Kobe to come in and kind of be a little bit more of a scorer as opposed to just a shooter. So that could help kind of lessen the burden of Zach Levine being out too as well. Yeah, they need him on that second unit so badly because this DeMar DeRozan and four bench guys thing just doesn't work. It it really doesn't work because it's like everybody stands around and watches DeMar. And the thing is, when you have non-shooters out there, if anything, you need more activity. You need them to be cutting. You need them to be moving to use their strengths to their advantage, which for a lot of those guys is athleticism. Or, or, you know, just like being able to create creases to allow them to do anything, to get closer to the basket or create other opportunities for DeRozan himself. Like the fact that it's just kind of like what sometimes what the San Antonio offense was last year when it was really bad, which was like, you know, DeJounte Murray's not a shooter. Mm -hmm. So having him kind of standing around when DeRozan is just pounding the ball, you know, just pounding the ball the entire possession What's he really doing for you, even though he's like a dynamic playmaker? You need him to be, you need guys like that to be cutting. Thinking about, at least when he was on the second unit, thinking about Javante Green. You know, Caruso's okay as a shooter on lower volume, but I wouldn't call him a knockdown shooter by any stretch at at this point in his career. And that's okay because he does so many other things really well. But like, you need something on that second unit. And Kobe White being able to take away some of that playmaking from DeMar DeRozan. And then also just to be able to be a guy that you have to respect and can hit a shot would be so massive for them. And especially if you're at a point where, hey, Zach Levine needs to take a week off or take two weeks off, then at that point, it might not be the best, but you could give DeRozan more steady rest, not have him with the second unit and kind of let Kobe White just run that thing for a few weeks until Levine comes back. So it's just Kobe White will you know, probably make the defense worse on the second unit, but if that part's been pretty good, they have a lot of other good defenders on the second unit. It's just a matter of helping out that offense at all. Yeah, absolutely. And on the injury note, we also lost Patrick Williams for the season after uh, he took a big fall in the Knicks game going for a dunk against Mitchell Robinson, and he suffered a dislocated wrist. And it, it honestly did not look that bad when it it happened live so to see that he was out for the season was really surprising but yeah apparently he's going to be out for uh four to six months but i guess there is a chance that he can come back for the playoffs depending on how deep a run the bulls potentially make if they do get to that point what did you make of the uh, news that the bulls uh have lost patrick williams for over regular season and 
what did you see in the Jazz game that could at least make you think optimistically about how they could fill his uh, void? I, I think it sucks because I think if there was one person on this roster that could have raised the ceiling of this team mm-hmm. to more than a middle of the road seed and a team that probably gets bounced in the first round. It was Patrick Williams. If he had taken a step now, mind you, it didn't look like he had necessarily taken that step, but he also hadn't been healthy. Uh, you know, so he hadn't gotten to have all the training camp and the preseason prep time that everybody else did to try and gel with so many new dudes on the roster. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely going to hurt because he's not a great shooter, And he clearly wasn't getting respected as a shooter, but I trust him as a shooter uh, more than green. And if it seems like Javante Green's probably going to be your, your other starter at this point, that's what the bulls rolled with in the preseason that, you know, that's what they did. That's it worked out pretty well, but with starting him more than that, instead of Patrick Williams, I think this team is going to have to, again, rely on getting in those passing lanes, you know, deflections, that type of thing, even more because, Javante Green's a good defender, but again, you're losing size there. And then when the Bulls have to play some of these bigger, bulkier wings, that's going to be a problem because you're just undersized pretty much everywhere at that point. You're not a point guard, but the thing is, part of what makes Lonzo Ball good for the Bulls, especially in that starting unit, is the fact that he can use his size to make up for some of the lack of athleticism against your primary ball handler. But when you have so many small dudes and he's having to have opportunities where he's like guarding Julius Randle and stuff like that, is his defense still a positive at that point? And it's through no fault of his own, just through the you know prism of, hey, instead of being a guy that's on the weak side looking through the passing lanes or maybe guarding someone's primary ball handler, now he has to be in the post dealing with a big and a guy who's got a good amount of weight on him. Like that's not going to be as good for him. So then when it's a cascading effect of maybe Patrick Williams wasn't having that good of a year, but what he allowed everybody else to do in terms of how he fell in as a cog into that machine is really going to be interesting to see how that develops as the season goes on. Because I don't know that there's necessarily that they have a logical replacement that's that can do the exact same thing. And I don't know that I don't really think that there's one out there as well, considering some of the, uh, some of the restraints that the bulls have on the trade market, if that's something they really want to explore. Yeah. I think when you look at the roster and what Billy did last night, kind of by committee he had out there, like we mentioned Javante Green who's starting, but then uh, Derek Jones Jr. Got an opportunity to play out there who I thought played productive minutes, mm-hmm. um, brought a lot of energy, good defense. Crusher defense got out on the break. Uh, obviously, you also have Troy Brown Jr. Again, smaller uh, wing or a wing more so than a four, but again, playing in the small ball role, the kind of again in the committee role, you you have those spot minutes that you can fill in. Uh, and then you mentioned obviously in the trade market, you know, how, not not sure how much the Bulls could do. You kind of have to maybe look at maybe even the free agent. Agency market, you. I know they had like guy like Kenneth Fareed. They had like kind of tossed around the idea of him. Uh, he hasn't played in the league in a while, but he is a guy that can really get on the boards. Not much of a defender, but it's just a, somebody a body to have that could you you can potentially sh- uh, put out there in, in situations, and then maybe even you go back to a guy like Stanley Johnson that. He obviously we had to we cut him. We picked Matt Thomas over uh, Stanley because of uh, roster needs. Because obviously we wanted a shooter at the time, but now with Pat being out, maybe Stanley Johnson becomes more of a need. So are you looking at more like I said? You said the trade avenue is kind of tough with with what the Bulls can give up. Especially we don't know what's going to happen with this tampering um, mm-hmm. stuff that's still going on. They're still re- going research on that or whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing with the, with that, the NBA <laughs> that is, but uh, coming in, like I said, they don't know how much they can, what they can do for trade wise. But again, with other waiver options, do you think that like, do you see some guys on that they could get at via waiver? I don't like for, with the Kenneth Fareed thing. 
I think Derek Jones Jr. gives you a lot of of what Kenneth Fareed would like. Neither guy can shoot. So like when Derek Jones was in there yesterday, he was in the dunker spot almost exclusively on offense, or he would be in the corner and kind of looking for a duck in or something like that. That was some of what he would be doing. And that's, you know, it's not ideal because if let's say it's a bench unit and he's out there with DeRozan or something, his guy could feasibly, depending on how far in DeRozan gets, uh, his, he could help off. And then it's uh, and then it's on DeRozan to maybe dump the ball off to Derek Jones to be able to go up for a dunk or something like that. But I don't know how much difference you're getting between Fareed and Derek Jones. So if it's like that's the type of guy, then that's probably I'd probably just rather stand pat because like so part of the issue is and I, I looked it up this morning just because I'm never that I'm not the best with it. The Bulls are only. Because of all the sign in trades, they're hard capped this year. Right, right. So they're they're just a shade over 10 million away from the hard cap. But what's interesting, and it gets back to uh, you know, what we deal with in Chicago a lot apparently lately, is willingness to pay a luxury or competitive balance tax. And if the bulls are willing to pay, then they have maybe up to that 10 million to play with, whether it's via free agency or trade. But in terms of the luxury tax, if they're not willing to go over the luxury tax for this team, you're looking at four and a half million dollars that the Bulls would maybe have to play with. And that's assuming nothing else goes wrong the rest of the year. Teams generally like to have around that four million dollars to play with, especially towards the deadline, maybe take in just a hair more salary to either get a better player or to maybe get a draft pick along with whatever else they're doing. So I kind of think they're going to stick it out for a while and just kind of, even though you could probably get these, some of these guys off the street for a vet minimum with having, and mind you, I will say Johnson has not been good this year, but if you have to, I think you can get by for the moment with Derek Jones playing a little bit and then just kind of piecemealing it together with your starting unit and just kind of realizing your starting unit defense is probably not going to be great. And right. I think that's okay. As long as the defense or the offense improves as we think it probably should as this year goes along and these guys kind of figure each other out a little bit, as long as the offense improves, then the defense taking a little bit of a step back can be okay. But it's just so matchup dependent uh, when you think about those guys. Like it could be a bit of an issue when Jason Tatum, you know, when you're in, in Boston taking on having maybe you could have someone doing okay on Jalen Brown, who's been just awesome this year, by the way. And, uh, but you know, Tatum being a little bit bigger could be an issue. And then obviously Kevin, Kevin Durant's an issue period. So like then having to go like Kevin Durant, Luca, uh, Draymond green, like that whole, that stretch coming up next week or in, in, in about a week, like that's going to be a, a big issue. But I think that's just kind of where they're, they've painted themselves with having the high salary guys that they do. Your roster is not going to be as deep and with giving up everything they did to get this roster, you don't have a whole lot of avenues to improve it. So are they really going to improve much if they get anybody that's a free agent at the moment? Honestly, probably not. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, and I'm having a tough time thinking of like trade targets right now, because I mean, I mean, really, the only contract I can think of that you could possibly move is Derek Jones Jr. at nine point seven million. But I, I don't mm-hmm. really know what the market for that would be like and. I don't know if you would have to include a draft pick or what. And based on what, you know, Celine was saying with the tampering, we don't know what the penalties will be for that. So it's kind of hard to, you know, position a, a deal for that. But uh, I mean, they shouldn't be trading a first round pick, period, at this point, like regardless yeah. of the tampering thing. Just like, <laughs> I mean, well, for one thing, they can't trade their own pick right now yeah. because of the Stepien rule. They can't trade it until draft night. So right. they would have to move the port. It would have to be that Portland pick. Yeah, that's yeah. like which which by the way was so dumb for Portland to like protect that out in perpetuity, but that's neither here nor there because that just completely screws them from being able to do other things. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I don't know that. I'm I'm hoping that like Portland. Hope I'm hoping we can just get that pick this year because I was I also don't like playing those that game either because you don't know when Portland will be good again because there's there's always that odds that they could trade Dame. In mm-hmm. the off season, so and then they trade Dame, then they're gonna go completely for rebuild, yeah. and 
who knows when they'll be good again after yeah. that. So and they just always... need like cheap dude. The Bulls just need cheap dudes to fill out this rotation. Yeah, for exactly. you know, for this short window that they have because of the age of DeRozan and the age of Vooch, this is a short window. You got to win now. So if you can get someone that can develop into a decent, you know, back end of your rotation player on the cheap, awesome. Basically, no, exactly, exactly. Basically looking yeah. for like a, a campaign type of a <laughs> type of impact for cheap. Never well, thought well, I would just say saw that, Taj. But yeah. Can you, yeah, Taj too. Taj, and Taj was really good against the Bulls, and a big part of that win with all of like he just gave high effort. You know, gave mm-hmm. some offensive rebounding. Still, you know, a good athlete, a good wingspan, can play him at the four or five. Yeah, he was a, a big part of it. And he was part of that. That campaign trade was so bad. And it's really impressive to make a trade and have literally everybody know it was a bad trade from the moment it happened. (laughs) And like, that was that trade. It's like, I understand he was expiring. It's like, it's like, oh, Taj and McDermott and you're giving up pick like whatever past regime. That part's gone. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and another thing uh, by committee, I feel like, we need to do, we will need to do a better job. And I think we did surprisingly well, considering how overmatched we were is on the boards. Um, last night I was expect, I was dreading going in. I was like, you know, we're going to get out rebounded like 60 to 40. And that's just going to be the nightmare scenario all night. And that's why we're going to just you know, completely lose this game. But obviously they, they did get out rebound a little bit, uh, 54 to 45 overall. And they, they had a few offensive uh, rebounds, uh, and a negative compared to the jazz as well. But I, I like, like I said, again, Tony Bradley Jr., who has been a solid to good defensive rebounding big. Uh, and to see when you look at his re- defensive rebounding percentages, is always in that 23% area, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a big factor. And I think also just like when you look at the team as a whole, I feel like they can do a better job positioning, you know, putting a body on the guys, just kind of, like boxing out is something that can make a big, big difference on, on how you rebound. So uh, how are you looking at that? Like, are you kind of seeing that, you know, this is going to just be a battle all season and they're always going to kind of be at the bottom of the league, or do you think that they can kind of wiggle themselves into at least, you know, not, not in the top half of the league, but get closer to like an average it's probably it's probably going to be an issue all year, but in some way, shape, or form, it's just going to be an issue just due to their size. And like I mentioned earlier on, is that they this is where they need to make up make up some of that uh, margin in different areas. So if it's turnovers, if it's uh, you know getting out on the fast break, which I think was something that I should have mentioned earlier in terms of what they did. Uh, to really make up for things earlier uh, in terms of the Utah game, which they should be doing more often, period, not just because Rudy Gobert is back there and you want to get going before the defense gets set up. Like the Bulls need to be doing those type of things to take advantage of what they do well to try and just make up for some of that. Because you look at at, uh, points off turnovers, the Bulls are plus 17. That's fantastic. You want that. That helps make up for the fact that you're minus eight in terms of second chance points like that, that absolutely matters. The fact that the bulls were able to get into the paint as much as, as they did offensively, just like there's a lot of things you can try and do in terms of deflections, in terms of, you know, like stealing possessions with those turnovers that you need to make sure that your shot attempts are really close. Because a lot of times last year, I was talking with Bill Wennington in post game, and we look at, at the box score and it's, oh, the Bulls opponent had like 12 more shot attempts than they did. Well, that gives the other team so much more wiggle room in terms of how well or poorly they can shoot and still have a chance to win. Even though the Bulls got out-rebounded by nine in this game, which isn't that bad, they still only had one fewer shot attempt than Utah. So they catch Utah on a night where they have a really bad shooting night. Some of that was forced by the Bulls and some of it was just, hey, a bad shooting night. Those are going to happen in the NBA and the Bulls were able to take advantage of it. Like 92 shot attempts for Utah, 91 for the Bulls, even with those issues. That's how you have to try and make up for it. Cause I don't know that they're ever going to be an average uh, rebounding team this year, unless the roster changes again. 
So yeah, we, I, I look at the team. I think I, I knew you mentioned the, the turnovers they caused, but also themselves protecting the ball on their on their end. It's a great get a lot, a lot more cleaner offensive possessions. Uh, you know, you're not losing a possession and and giving up extra points to the other team because of, you know on fast break points or whatever have right. you. And actually, so, one one note off of that, I just wrote this down, so I just want to throw it in there. Yeah. So far this year, the Bulls are second in turnover rate offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. So it just yeah. feeds right to your point that they're not turning the ball over and they are turning the opponent over. So that turnover margin is really doing a lot of the work to make up for that rebounding differential. Yeah, exactly. So th- those little things like you you see like how they're how they're able to overcome some of the deficiencies that they may have. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's just refreshing. I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird feeling. It's like a weird feeling that we're, we're sitting here talking about a team that over the years had many deficiencies and we're like, how are they going to fix any of these deficiencies? But now we're like, you know what? Yeah, they have these deficiencies, but they do these things really well too. So that's something we can hold on to. And then they'll figure all these other little things out, like the offense that the offensive, uh, cohesion and a lot of it, I feel like it's just like missed shots. Like, like, like a guy like Vucevic, for example, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of things he's doing on offense is his normal flow. It's his normal shots that he thinks he's just missing. And mm-hmm. I think once he starts hitting those shots, that's going to be a boost for the offense too. So like for, for things like that, I'm not worried. And I feel like that's something the bulls are still going to get better too at, at as well. Yeah. I think there's going to be, some uh, kind of leveling out here of both the offense and the defense of the defense is probably going to come down a little bit and that's okay that they weren't expected to be this good defensively anyway. So it's going to regulate, you know, it's some of these early season numbers where one game can change everything so much in terms of your overall numbers where it's like, yeah, still four of these games were, were against crap teams. And it's like, that was just the schedule in front of them. So you take it for what it's worth right now. But after this 13-game stretch, I'm assuming their offensive and defensive numbers are going to look a little different, uh, especially the defensive, uh, especially that defensive number. But yeah, with Vooch, I wonder if it's him really trying to figure out how to fit in and just like figure out his spots, maybe more than anybody else, because Zach Levine's still getting to his spots. DeMar DeRozan's still getting to his spots, and they're able to do that because they're the ones handling the ball more. So with Vooch, it's a lot more of him having to kind of learn how those guys are moving and finding his way. Like he's gotten much more aggressive at, especially in the Knicks game because they were trapping DeRozan and, uh, and Levine of just being aggressive at coming out to the free throw line or towards the top of the key when he was maybe on the weak side to be an outlet, being someone that's willing to facilitate in that area and then make the right pass either out to a corner or to do something for himself, either hit a jumper or move or uh, make a move to the basket. Like that stuff, along with shooting, shooting the threes that he's been doing, that he's been doing pretty well at, like that's what he needs to do. And I think he's starting to figure out where he fits in. And when that happens, and especially once they kind of settle on a starting lineup and whoever that fifth guy is, if, if we're going to assume it's going to be Javante Green, if, even if he may not be playing as many minutes overall as Caruso or something like that on a given day, uh, I think that's really going to help them out because we still got to remember, even though the defense has been solid, that these are a lot of new dudes that are still trying to figure each other out. So I think that's definitely going to, time's going to help the offense, but the schedule's probably not going to help the defense. So I could see the offense, like kind of what I thought this year coming in was, offense probably back half of the back bit of the top 10 like if you told me like eighth on offense and then around 20th on defense i would have said that probably sounds about right and to me that sounds like a team that's in that like six seven eight range but uh if the defense is going to end up being a little bit better than that then cool then i think you take some of the low part out of the equation like the nine ten or falling out of uh, the play in, which would be a complete disaster. I think that may be off the table unless there's just a big rash of injuries. Now it's a team that's like, okay, if they're on the top half of the play in, probably at worst, then you're looking pretty solid most of the rest of the way. Yeah. I, I think there's a, uh, I, I definitely think there's a scenario where the Bulls are at least top 10 in offensive or defensive rating. And then maybe like 
kind of hovering around it in the other one. So maybe you're looking at a team that is around like nine in offensive rating and maybe like 13, 14 defensive rating or 12 or something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I I no longer see – there are going to be some bad nights, of course, because it's the NBA and there's some really good offensive teams in this league. But I I don't see the foundation of like a – mediocre or mediocre or really bad defensive team like I I think at worst they will be average because they certainly have the defensive talent and the effort is there the basketball IQ is there and I I could definitely see that scenario so if if we're looking ahead to these next five games before they go out west for a really brutal stretch uh, we're talking uh, Monday against Boston then they play Philly on Wednesday then they play Philly again uh, Saturday then the Monday after Brooklyn, then they wrap up with Dallas on Wednesday before they head out West. How do you see them doing in this five game stretch? Because we know this is a really tough 13 game stretch starting with that, uh, that next game. But if they do well in this five game stretch, they could really set themselves up for a, a little bit of a cushion. If there is some error on, uh, on the West coast trip. So how do you see them doing? Probably, probably like two and three. Okay. Just because, like, the, I see at least one major matchup issue in every one of those games, Jason. It's it's probably going to be able to. I wouldn't say handle Jalen Brown, but at least have the guys to do better against Jalen Brown than Jason Tatum. I mean, Joel Embiid's going to be Joel Embiid, and there's only so much you can do about that. Copy paste with uh, Kevin Durant, and then this Dallas thing is it's not good. Like it's still Luca. So on any given night, Luka Doncic can just get his team a win. However, the I was down on that team to start the year. Like one of my other things that I do is I, I work at a, a site four for four that does a lot of fantasy football, fantasy basketball, and, and betting out for both of those. So I do a lot of their basketball betting stuff. So I'm always looking at the betting angles too. And coming into the year, Dallas was a team that I faded. Like I I took Denver to have more regular season wins than Dallas. And I got that at a decent number. And I just, I wouldn't, I refuse to basically put where I think they could be in the Western conference. Cause I don't know. It's, it's literally Luca and I don't know what else they really have, especially with Porzingis always being in and out. You can't really trust him. So like, that's a game where I, I could see that, especially being at home, being a very winnable game. Brooklyn's been iffy to start the year, but you have no way to match up with Kevin Durant and, and it seems like James Harden last game kind of woke up a little bit, realized, Hey, I need to be James Harden for this team. So yeah. that so if he's going and Durant's going, they have enough other stuff around them to where they're just going to be so tough. I, I still think they're the title favorites. Sorry. Like six games or five games, however many they've played is not going to deter me from that. And then yeah, just, man, two games against Embiid and then enough guys around them that are playing well. Tyrese Maxey had a nice game yesterday. Like, it's a tough stretch, man. So, like, if they came out of this whole 13-game stretch, five, like, basically 500, like, if, if they were six, seven and six, six and seven, great. I think that's fantastic. I think, like, something like five and eight is probably more realistic. Uh, and that's that doesn't mean that the Bulls are screwed. That just means you're just getting taking some of the lumps of the schedule and then you're going to get some easier games somewhere else in the schedule. Like, oh, look, back to back games against Houston or Orlando. That's probably going to be good for you. So, yeah, I, probably like two and three in this stretch. And then overall that I think that West Coast trip is going to be rough, probably. Yeah. I- I, yeah, I look at the Boston game. I don't know. I think I feel like the Boston game, we could really uh, our defense could really have problems for them. Um, I just look at a lot of their issues on offenses. Like last season for the Bulls, they didn't really have a lot of like the Bulls didn't really have someone like that can initiate for them in the half court. And I think the mm-hmm. Boston kind of has that same issue. Um, that's and, that. That's fair. The I, I just think that one might just be a rock fight because yeah. Boston's also just they have a lot of good defensive personnel. So like they're one of the few teams that it's like, oh, okay, the Bulls have Levine and DeRozan. Okay, well, you throw Brown on Levine, you throw Tatum on DeRozan. Maybe that's not exactly what they want to do. Maybe maybe it's smart on Levine, assuming he's playing, and it's uh, Brown on DeRozan. 
So then you still have Tatum that doesn't have as hard of a defensive matchup and can shoulder more of the offensive load. Like they're just one of those teams that can match up with them defensively. Like if that was like a game where both teams are in the nineties, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yeah. This, this stretch is interesting to me because as you mentioned, it's a, it's a stretch of a lot of either really talented teams or like a really talented player in Luka Doncic. But you look at Boston, you look at Brooklyn, you look at Dallas and there's teams that, can beat anyone capable of beating anyone, but they, you know, have been a little slow to start for whatever reason this season. Then Philly is definitely going to be the toughest uh, test with Embiid there. So, I mean, I, I think they're going to beat Boston. I think they'll split the Philly games and I think they'll beat Dallas. And I think maybe Brooklyn, maybe Durant or Harding just gets really hot that game. So I, I think I'll say three and two going into that stretch, but I, I look at it and I think, you know, four and one is possible. It, it just really depends on what you're. It, it really just depends on if this, if this team is legitimate as we think they are. But I, I think four and one is absolutely possible in the stretch. Yeah, I, I can't quite get there, but the, <laughs> but I but I've also been someone where I'm a little bit. I was a little bit lower on this team coming in. Like, so I'm, and I'm, I'm doing my best to not let small sample, especially when two thirds of that small sample is against bad teams. And I know everybody hates hearing it because it's, it's fun right now. It's fun that the bulls are good. And this win against Utah, I'm taking nothing away from because it was a really good win. However, like one thing I did last year is I kept a note on my phone of uh, in the second half of the season, every player Every, every like really good player that the Bulls missed that they didn't have to play. And it was so damning by the end of the year mm-hmm. of just and mind you, there was all the circumstances second COVID and all that stuff, but I'm already doing, I'm doing that for this year too, just to kind of, as a reference point for myself, as the season goes on, you've already missed Cade Cunningham twice Zion and Pascal Siakam. And these teams that the Bulls are coming up facing as of now, uh, and you can throw Mike Conley in there as well. Uh, as of now, these teams are mostly healthy. So you're getting real ass teams right now. Utah's a real ass team, even without Mike Conley. Bulls did their thing. Absolutely awesome win. But with more of these games being on the road in this stretch, too, I, I think it's going to be a tough. I really think it's going to be a tough stretch for them. And some people might freak out at the end of this 13 game streak. Even if the Bulls are four and nine in this streak, I won't be freaking out because. It's it's the, some of the tougher teams in the league that they're facing. I mean, you're you're basically trying to knock out. Like, look at this. You have the two Philly games. You have Golden State in there. You have both your LA teams, Denver. I mean, it's a lot of really good teams, and it's a lot of teams that if you said before the year, is this team going to be better than the Bulls? The answer is yes. So even if they have a bad stretch in this, I'm not losing my mind just because. It's so many good teams that I think we all have to kind of we have to do what the numbers are going to do and regulate ourselves just to a point, even though it's so fun to just be like woo bulls right now. This is actually a competent basketball team. The standard is higher in other places. Yeah. So I think that's where we have to check ourselves a bit. So I I think your list is going to get longer because, I mean, you look at the, the schedule and I mean, I guess you could count Ben Simmons being out with Philly, then Kyrie with Brooklyn. Uh, the Lakers game is going to be interesting because that they're going to be uh, at the end of a three and four game stretch and they play the Spurs uh, that Sunday before they play the Bulls. So, mm-hmm. and LeBron has been resting some with that ankle. I, I mean, they could be missing someone that game. I don't know, but hey, they, they just got to go out. To me, they just got to go out and handle business. Like they just got to go out and win and just be like, you know, they're, they're going to be uh, teams missing players, but they just got to go out and do their thing. Because, I mean, last season they could beat the bad teams, but even if it's a team that just has as much talent as them, even without a really good player, they just got to go out and get it done. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still think eight and five overall in this long stretch, but I definitely look at this uh, upcoming uh, week and a half stretch, and I think that they could make it out uh, – can you send some of what you're sipping over here? 
I know it's still like we're we, still in the morning here, technically. But uh, no, we, hey. we've been passing it around. We've been passing the Kool Aid around and like alternating it every episode. Maybe so. One day Celine might be on it. The next mm-hmm. day I might be on it. The whoever okay. our guest is on it. I mean, maybe we when we get you back, maybe we can have you on it the next time. I don't know. So then we'll be that, looking at you like you're crazy. Maybe. And now, one thing I will say for the positive for the Bulls in, in this long stretch, there's depending on if you count Indiana as part of the stretch, which you probably shouldn't. Uh, only one back to back, and that back to back is with is when they're just going from Clippers to Lakers, so they're not traveling or anything like that. So that definitely helps them when you look at the overall scope of this stretch. And then and then when they have that back to back at the very end of it, that's at home. Yeah, Knicks and yeah. Pacers. So it's it's nasty in terms of who they play, but in terms of like three and fours or back to backs or anything like that, it's really not that bad. No, hundred percent. And I think, yeah, I, I think, and and I, I like I, I like to point out to like, and we've mentioned him already, but Kobe White is he's he's going to be a big factor for this team, and yes. we, we've talked about all these teams not having this player, that player, this player, that player, and not to say Kobe White is as good as some of the names we've mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, but he is good, he is important at being out, and a lot of these droughts that this team has sometimes on offense, Kobe's going not going to allow those droughts to happen. So, right. He he won't allow droughts to happen for either team. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more likely, more likely. But I do I do think you can put lineups together where Kobe's defense isn't a problem. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Like pairing him with Alex Caruso on the second unit, uh and allowing uh, Kobe White to like handle like the the lesser of the guards definitely is going to help out. Right, yeah. right. So I think I, I think that all all the factors, all the things we're talking about, it it can go both ways. And like I said to, again, I I know I keep repeating myself, but in years past, we could we, we would have these conversations about guys missing games, so forth, and other team is missing game got players, but we would still come out with losses. Like it it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. matter. Like like last season, yeah. Uh, no Zion, no Cade, or whatever have you. No Mike Conley, but those will still end up being losses because the Bulls just one reason or another they they just make too many errors in a game. But now we're seeing those errors going away, and we're seeing more like my my co-host continually has said we have more adults in the room. Yes, um, that know how to play basketball. That yeah. make up for these differences. You remember the the uh, Tony Bradley game last year? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah, it's like, oh no, no, yeah, no Simmons, uh, no Embiid, and you're still losing. That was, I mean, I remember that one also because I I won a decent amount of money on that because I I bet it was like I don't remember what the odds were, but it was like Tony Bradley to have I think it was like 15 or more points. Or no, it was ten or more points. It was like a pretty high number, and I almost did the fifteen, just being like, "Who the hell else is going to play center?" And he had he he had like fifteen, sixteen points in that game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. Tony Bradley looking like Tim Duncan is what we were used to at the time. But hey, the Bulls are five and one. They played some really entertaining basketball up to this point. There's going to be some more fun basketball this, these upcoming weeks. So. I'm sure we're all looking forward to a really good start to the season. The Knicks game was fun with Joe Kim Noah uh, appreciation night. That was a really emotional night, and the Utah game was a blast as well. So looking forward to these upcoming games. Rick, this has been a blast talking to you. Uh, can we? Can you give our listeners uh, where they can find you at on social media and tell us what you're working on right now? You can find me on Twitter at Rick C. Camp, C-A-M-P. Uh, I'm – just really been at this point working on Bernstein and Rahimi kind of finished my first full week of that gig. And boy, what a hell of a first week to have that as my gig. Uh, so there's all that. Uh, but yeah, so just focused on that and also doing bulls post game on the score. So I, I generally have been posting on Twitter when I have post game, we have a couple guys that we rotate through uh, doing that. And then I know we've got some stuff in the works over at four for four. So that's the number four, the word for F O R the number four.com. If you're a fantasy player or into the betting space, 
Uh, I do a lot of work there. I try to post some of my plays or just things I find interesting that could be profitable for you on uh, my Twitter as well. And I live sweat some of these things through Twitter as well. So if you (laughs) like to watch me go through agony uh, via social media, I'm a good follow for that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, thank you so much, Rick. Really appreciate it. Uh, Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, um, final thoughts again. Thank you. For Rick for joining us. Appreciate taking his time out of, of his busy schedule. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this team. This is this nice to like I, I was I was going into these two games against the Knicks and the Jazz. I was just kind of hoping for a split. And I was expecting it to be the we would win the Knicks game and we would lose the against the Jazz. The reverse happened. And again, we were what, like six inches away from being six and zero right now. Yeah. If the DeMar hits that shot, you know, we're, we're six and zero, or if something different happens on that play, as far as they give the ball to Zach and he's able to, uh, you know, DeMar hands the ball off to Zach and Zach is able to obviously beat Fournier off, off the dribble. But yeah, just looking at things, it's really fun. It's nice to see them playing competitive basketball. Feels like, like the electricity, after you see is different, everything's different. It just this this town can maybe get behind this team more so too. And and we'll just have more fun basketball. Like the sky gave us, I keep saying the sky gave us great basketball and the Bulls can continue it. Yeah, absolutely. The game the games will look really great on TV. The crowd is into it. There's a lot of like highlights each and every game. And yeah, this this has just been a fun start to the season. Every bit is what we expected. So we'll see what the Bulls can uh, do uh, these upcoming games. But uh, that concludes uh, today's episode. Again, thank you to Rip Camp for uh, dropping by and joining us to talk some Bulls. As always, you can catch our past episodes wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify, on Apple, and you can always find us here right here on the Barroom Network. So for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.